Previously on Funny Science Fiction. Didn't you guys think it was odd for a group of superhero cats to chase after a red laser pointer in the sky? We did until the first paychecks came. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, this is Astronaut Abby, and welcome to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The podcast where the jokes are so bad that the Joker doesn't even laugh, not even sarcastically. All right, now our guest today is an ambassador for the International Space and STEM programs. For those of you who aren't familiar, STEM is an acronym that stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Now, our guest is also an author, a TEDx speaker, and a huge fan of Star Wars. Please help me to welcome Astronaut Abby to the show. Thanks for joining us today, Abby. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited there's another girl on screen. (laughs) Doesn't happen often. Yeah, sadly, I imagine science fiction <laughs> is one of those areas that still um, is a little bit lacking in, in that. So we got to do what we can to represent, right? Exactly, exactly, which is why I'm so excited about this interview. <laughs> it's also yeah. why she brings it up every time we have a woman on the show. <laughs> which has like, only yeah. been like four times. Well, since you've been on. <laughs> since you've been on. So uh, now, Abby, you first caught my attention online on Facebook with a Star Wars May the Fourth Be With You post. Um, now, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and so I had to see what was Astronaut Abby saying about Star Wars and what was the tie-in here, other than it was May the Fourth, and you know, well, that just kind of lends itself to its own thing. Uh, and so I said to myself as I started looking at at your profile and the, the things that you were posting on your on your channel there, I said, self. How cool would it be to talk with Astronaut Abby on our show? And so, kids, uh, having chatted with her for a few minutes before we started recording this episode, I'll tell you, just for confirmation, it's pretty cool. Um, but, but I have to know, what was the influence that helped pique your interest in both outer space and STEM? Please say Star Wars. Please say Star Wars. Please say Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars was definitely part of it. Don't Yay! worry. I'm not going to let you down there. <laughs> so I first became interested in space exploration when I was probably about three or four years old. And sadly, my first uh, exposure to space wasn't Star Wars. It was actually nature and and the night sky. And I have this really strong memory from when I was just, you know, a, a wee toddler, um, knee high. And I have this really strong memory of looking up at the night sky and having all of these questions about space and having all of these these thoughts racing through my head and knowing that I wanted to be a part of finding the answers to those questions. And that desire and that that passion and interest in space exploration and in science only grew stronger as I got older. And a large part of that, and this is where the tie-in is, a large part of that was my exposure to science fiction and particularly things like Star Wars. Um, my dad is a big science fiction geek and made sure that I was you know, well, uh, well equipped with my exposure to science fiction and watched Star Wars with me at an early age and all of those things. And so I, I definitely think that was part of why I believed for a long time that the impossible in terms of space exploration could be possible someday. And part of why I dedicated my life to trying to make it so things that we consider impossible currently, things like someday having humans on Mars or traveling beyond our solar system, those kinds of things, those aren't impossible. Those are realities that we can make happen if we're putting in the work now, doing doing the ground steps, laying the groundwork so that in the future, we can see things that we would currently consider to be science fiction. 
I think that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Plus, you know, when it comes to uh, May the 4th, like you mentioned with that post on Facebook, uh, that alone is a good enough reason to be talking about Star Wars, right? I'll hop on any, any reason. (laughs) Any chance I get, let's go for it. Right. Um, and so just to clarify for everyone who may be listening, this is something I always like to put out there is that my my nickname is Astronaut Abby, and that's the handle that I go by on all of my online platforms for my science outreach and communication work. But I'm not actually an astronaut yet. I aspire to be an astronaut. And so hopefully someday you'll see me in space and eventually walking on the surface of Mars. But I'm not quite there yet. Uh, but I use that name because it was my nickname as a kid and because uh, it allows people to then follow along on me step by step as I go through this process of hopefully becoming an astronaut and it really lets people you know experience that with me and if nothing else honestly it's genius marketing so right everyone it's, loves it, an alliteration it, well so. yeah it's, it's easy <laughs> right alliteration it's it's easy to remember you know and so if you're somebody's talking about you I mean somebody talks about me they can say yeah that's Tim Bicycle you know but you know if I had like you know a really cool name like you know terrific tim or something like that astronaut abby <laughs> you know if i had a cool name like astronaut abby i'd be going with that too so and sadly no one calls me terrific tim oh <laughs> we should start that up when i was younger we used to say that because i was astronaut abby we should call my older sister um magnificent maddie but that never caught on in quite the same oh. way but i like terrific tim we should get that going <laughs> I, I like her <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I'm not going to be able to walk out of this room after we're done because my head is going to be so big. I've heard people call Tim a lot of things, but terrific has not been one. Of them. Hey, you shush, you shush. Just because you I know heard my wife. This was a family-friendly show. It is just because it she knows my wife. That it. Oh no, it don't worry. So I love the the new push, the revamp push for girls to be included in STEM, uh, the GEMS program, the girls in engineering and math and science started in 2010 which was the year that I graduated from high school. So it wasn't available for me. Um, I actually got to be part of the girls plus math plus science equals choices, um, which was kind of a precursor to it. But now I have an almost three-year-old, which a three-year-old girl, which this is big. This is a huge thing, which is so exciting for me. So what do you think needs to happen next to encourage, to keep encouraging girls to take charge in those science classes? Yes, that's a a really great question. And it doesn't have a short or an easy answer. And I will be the first person to tell you that sadly, I don't have all the answers either. But I can give a good shot at some of the things I think are important aspects and features in that. The first one is, in my opinion, um, exposure. So we have to expose girls to role models and to... um, um, I guess role models is really the best way to put it. We have to show them what a career and a future in science looks like and show them the holistic view of that, not just throwing science at them and saying like, you know, bash over the head and, you know, this is the way to do it. But instead saying you can have a really fulfilling, really um, wholesome life that includes all of these different features and facets and science can be part of that and a career in science can be part of that. So that's a really big part is showing that, you know, science can look like you. Science can, can be people who are tomboys or people who are girly girls or people who fall anywhere in any part of, you know, growing up and, and being a girl or a woman. Um, and so that's that's definitely a huge part is just creating more diverse role models of what it means to be a woman in science. And that's a big part of why I talk about 
my dreams and my journey in science online is because I think that that's the kind of role model I would have wanted when I was growing up was someone that I could look up to and see myself and picture myself in their footsteps. So that's a huge part. And then the next, um, another really big part is to then not only expose girls to science and to get them to believe in themselves, but then to also provide actual concrete opportunities for girls to get hands on with science and with STEM, so science, tech, engineering, and math. And one of the reasons I think that's so important is because once you start to get hands-on with STEM through programs like GEMS, which I actually was a part of, I was a student in GEMS when I was in grade school. And then when I went on to high school, I um, was a high school mentor for the younger teams as well. And I think that programs like GEMS made all the difference for someone like me, even someone like me who had these really big dreams and goals from a young age. I still attribute having had mentorship and having had hands-on experience in science to not having given up on my dreams because there are periods, especially, and it's been shown and proven for girls that um, the, the really important ages in which girls start to lose faith in their ability in science and lose interest in science and STEM topics is right around, you know, 12 and 13 years old. And so if we're able to give girls community and give them opportunities to get hands-on with science, I think that really helps to hold their interest and build their trust and faith in themselves and their ability to be successful. Excellent. I was so glad when you brought up GEMS because as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, Gems yeah. is so 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 close to my heart. And like I got to do like all kinds reading of about it, reading yeah. about the gems program. I'm like, I wish I had been part of that. I mean, girls plus math plus choices was awesome. Like it was a good, it was a good step in the right direction, but it wasn't a big enough step in the right direction. I would think. Right. Yeah. I I am not super familiar with girls plus. Um, it was girls plus STEM. Girls plus, plus math plus science equals. Choice. Okay equals choices. Yeah, I'd actually never heard of that program before you mentioned it. So I can't comment on, on right. that I don't one. know if it was a if it was a Michigan based thing. Oh okay. we ended up going to Olivet College for like a, a day of science and math stuff, which was cool, but right. it was but not a day. quite yeah, it wasn't quite enough. Whereas like for instance the GEMS program that I got to participate in from the age of uh, like probably 12 years old onwards, um, 10 years old even onwards, we were doing things like uh, building miniature race cars and competing in um, Lego robotic competitions and even launching balloons to the edge of space. I got to, when I was 12 years old, take my own pictures of the, the edge of space and see the curvature of the earth and um, propose and design and implement and execute an experiment that we sent up with it and things like that, that I look back on it now, obviously, and I'm like, mm, the experimental design was a little bit flawed, maybe. <laughs> but what was important at the time, <laughs> what was important at the time was that it, it really got me in, like continued to keep that spark of interest in science alive. And those kinds of programs, the more that we can create those kinds of programs and opportunities for for girls, um, I think that that is a big part of helping to keep that pipeline going to keep girls interested in STEM through critical periods. Excellent. I think one of the biggest moments in space history was when we landed on the moon. And, you know, Neil Armstrong said, that's one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. So what is the drive, what is behind the drive for you being the first person on Mars? 
Yeah, so for me, my my interest and my passion for Mars uh, has a couple of different facets or features to it. And um, the very first one for me was that Mars was something that early on in my life grabbed and held my interest uh, because I had this interest in this interest in space and in astronomy, and I knew that someday I wanted to travel to space. And when I was really young, I actually. Um, didn't quite, wasn't super familiar with the word, you know, I knew the word astronaut, but I thought there has to be something more descriptive than that. Like, we don't just call everyone astronauts, right? Like everyone who's in space, there has to be something more. And I didn't know that you could divide them into pilots and mission specialists and all of this stuff. And so when I was really young, I actually used to think that I wanted to grow up to be an astronavigator, which was a term that I got from science fiction. Um, and I had to grow out of that one and realize that Astro navigators aren't quite real yet, but that I could be a pilot and that I could be, you know, these different types of specialized astronauts. Um, but that's a that's a side track. Um, the point I was trying to make is that I had this interest from a young age in Mars or in space, and Mars especially had grabbed my focus and my attention. And as I got older and learned more about space exploration, about what we've done in the past, where we're going in the future, and really committed myself to these ideas of what is it that we need to be doing now to make our future bright and to make it better, um, one of the things that I, I realized and learned was that my passion for Mars couldn't have been more appropriately placed because Mars is the next necessary step for humans in space exploration, not just to continue our abilities and capabilities in space, but more so to continue our abilities here on Earth. Because one of the main things that, that we get back from space exploration is um, scientific and technological advancement. And the way that we do that is by challenging ourselves, by giving ourselves situations that are so difficult and um, that are so new and novel that they require us to think incredibly far outside of the box um, to come up with solutions to solve those. And then we take those solutions and we utilize them here on earth to make all kinds of parts of life better um, and to, to improve life here on earth. And, and it's not enough for us to simply be in space anymore. Dare I say, as challenging as space is, it's not hard enough. We have to be looking forward to what are these next steps that we can take? What are the truly difficult, seemingly impossible situations that we can be putting ourselves in to really test our limits and to continue to create technologies and solutions that will solve the ever greater and, and ever growing problems that we see here on Earth? And to me, the answer to that question is we need to be on Mars. We need to be putting humans on Mars. We already see it with things like um, like the robotic exploration that we've done on Mars. Things like having to, to figure out how to land larger and larger payloads. Suddenly we're seeing sky cranes dropping robots into the sky on other planets. That's the kind of technological advancement that is so far outside of the box thinking that you right. look at it and you do say to yourself, that that sounds like science fiction, but the reality is that that technology then comes back to Earth and allows us to really um, make things better in a lot of ways and implement it. And so when you look at how much we've already had to change the way we think about things in order to do robotic exploration, human exploration on Mars is going to be a hundred times, a thousand times more difficult than robotic has been. And that's going to cause us to think even farther outside of the box and really push our boundaries. What are your first words going to be when you step on Mars? <laughs> so 
everyone everyone always asks that question um and i uh, it makes me feel that so bad to say this but i can't tell you because that that would be giving away such a big secret right and then you know you wouldn't marketing 101 you're not going to tune in if you already know what's going to happen what is the walk on Mars? i think i'm a schmuck <laughs> and what is the second sentence you're going to say Oh my God, what is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> and that will then suddenly be her last sentence anybody ever hears from her. Exactly. I wanna, the last I one wanna... that NASA broadcasts, right? Exactly. And cut the feed. So I kind of want to have you do like a reverse Marvin the Martian, you know, hmm, puny Martians. Uh, <laughs> There's so many good options. They're really like, it's endless when you think about, um, it really makes me look back at like the moon landings as well and be like, hmm, if only they had more of a sense of humor. We could have had some really interesting history to, to learn. We could have had some fun with this history, people. <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, you could always go the role of the Martian and Matt Damon and be like, hey, where are we planting the potatoes? Yeah, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, there need to be potatoes. That's right. Exactly. Always. Oh, All right, so Martian. that was a favorite. That was absolutely a favorite of mine. Like, it's a wonderful very funny, movie. <laughs> wonderful movie. All right, so Abby, let's talk about this. Uh, your foundation, the Mars Generation nonprofit organization that you do work with. So, you can tell us, please, um, how it began and what you're doing with and for the organization now. Yeah, so the Mars Generation nonprofit is a nonprofit that I co founded about six years ago now. That makes me feel old to say that. Um, I, I founded it during my first month in college, actually. And it came about because um, I, as I've said many times already, I had this really big interest in space exploration when I was a kid. And growing up, I had this interest. Um, and I have a great mom who has always supported my dreams and has been behind me 100% of the time. But when I was growing up, we didn't have all the financial means necessarily. My mom was a high school, uh, um, yeah, she was a high school teacher. She was a high school teacher in the public school system in Minnesota where we lived. Um, a single mom with two kids, all of that. And so there, there were some things that were out of reach for my family. Things like um, when I was a kid, I really wanted to go to space camp. And um, we weren't able to afford it. And I actually asked my mom and she had to, you know, tell me, oh, that's not something that we can afford as a family. Uh, and then a couple years later, a nonprofit was able to help me with a partial scholarship that did allow me to go to space camp for a week. And for the first time in my life, meet other kids who were like me, who were interested in space and in in space exploration and space travel and all of these things and really start to get an idea for this bigger, broader world out there um, that I was a part of. And so that was a really inspiring experience for me. And I had that same experience many times over in various ways where my community, whether it was my local community or my larger community, um, stepped in and were able to help me to continue towards my, my dreams and on this path. Um, and so it's always been really important to me to give back and to have a way that I am making that same kind of impact on the world as well. 
Um, and that opportunity came up when I was about 18 years old and I was just entering college. I had been already doing um, educational outreach work through both through social media, producing content about space exploration that was accessible to all different kinds of people, going and visiting classrooms and schools and talking to kids about space and about science, all of these kinds of things. And so it was at that point that we decided to formalize it a little bit more and to take this voice that I had online as Astronaut Abby and to use that social capital to actually start something, to start the nonprofit, the Mars Generation. And one of our very first things that we thought about when we said, okay, we want to start something that's going to be impactful and is going to lead to a generation of young people today who are being inspired and excited and supported mm -hmm. to someday be able to do great things like walking on Mars. Um, one of the first things we thought about was scholarships. How can we provide real support for young people to be inspired in that way and to have these experiences? Uh, and so to date, 10 years after I was a scholarship recipient to go to space camp, um, my nonprofit has now provided almost 50 full paid scholarships for students living around the United States to go to space camp with travel included, flight suits, every expenditure that could hold a kid back from having this really awesome experience. We, we covered and continue to do that. Um, that's a huge, <laughs> you know, I try not to brag too much, but that's one of the few things in my life that I will like proudly plaster everywhere and say like, <laughs> right. that is like one of my pride and joys. That's in awesome. Is this idea of having done that. Um, the Mars that's Generation really also does. About. Yeah, thanks, right? <laughs> no, they absolutely brag about that. The Mars Generation also does a lot of other, like our scholarship program, I always like to highlight that because it's, as I've mentioned, so near and dear to my own heart, but we also do so much more. We have an awards program where we help to highlight young people and to give them a platform to speak. These are people who have been doing great things in, um, in STEM and in science communication in their communities. We do a lot of content creation and curation um, to try and make sure that there is interesting and exciting and factual content out there about space. Um, we also do a lot of, we have a student space ambassador program to create an online space for young people to um, interact with one another and support one another in their own dreams. And like, literally, if you let me, I could just go on and on and on all <laughs> night about the Mars generation and um, all of the different things. But I'll, those are those are the big ones. So I will put a put a cap on it for now. But it's a <laughs> it's a dangerous topic to bring up with me because you know it's like asking a parent about their child. Like you ask me about it, and I'm like, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> no, you know what? I love I love the no nothing at all, and I love the enthusiasm behind your answer. Thank you. <laughs> you can you can honestly tell from from the way that you talk about it that this isn't just something you're doing. This this is a life passion. This is. This means an, a, a tremendous amount to you, and I, I am so, I'm so glad that you know. And because sometimes when you talk to somebody and you're like, "Oh, look, they they do this thing," and then you talk to them and you're like, "Yeah, they just they just they're just doing it." Right. But or now fall into it or something. Yeah, yeah. But in, in talking with you, it's very clear that this is not just a thing that you that you're doing. That this is this is a life goal. This is a passion. This is a dream of yours. And I and I think that in itself is fantastic. So. You brag away. Go for it. <laughs> well, thank you. It really is. And that's one of the things that when I was younger, I thought that my dream 
you know, I thought that you could have one dream. And I thought that my dream was to become an astronaut and go to Mars. And um, as I've gotten older, I've realized that you could have many dreams and you can accomplish a lot of them at the same time. And for me, I still hold that deeply held and cherished dream and goal and I'm working towards it every single day of going to space myself. But my other biggest passion and biggest dream in life is to make the kinds of opportunities I've had available for as many other people in my generation. And so like, that's one I never thought that I would necessarily end up in, but science communication and science advocacy is just as important to me as, as Mars is. And it's really fun to get to talk to people like you who are, you know, on board with that and who are giving me a platform to talk about these things that I love so, so much. So thanks for asking. Hey, not a problem. (laughs) So Tim and I both have daughters and you even already mentioned that your mom was your biggest supporter in wanting to be an astronaut. So what can parents do without being pushy to help encourage their kids to keep reaching for the stars? How, how much of that can we carry over into adulthood for ourselves too? Yes, that's a great question. And um, I, (laughs) it's funny that I always, chuckle a little bit when I get asked this question, not because it's a funny question, but because I have a funny memory associated with it, which is that um, I was once speaking at the same event as as uh, an astronaut who I'd met previously. And um, he actually asked me afterwards, he asked me, what can I do, Abby, what can I do to get my kids to like space more? Because, you know, I'm an astronaut. I've, I've literally been in space and they just don't seem that interested. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny because I was like 15 or 16 years old at the time. And I was like starstruck by this person. And here he was asking for my advice about this. And I was like, but you're the, you're the, you're the, the expert. You're the astronaut. <laughs> Um, but so that is why I chuckle. I, I always have to tell that story so that it doesn't come across poorly when people ask me for this advice and I start laughing. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> not what I meant. Um, but so funny story aside, the best advice that I can give is is kind of similar to what I said earlier. And so I hope it doesn't sound repetitive about how we can influence and um, help to increase the number of girls and women in science. The best ad- advice I can give is exposure exposure is so important. And I think that that's really where it comes in as well as that, like, um, I would never want to give parenting advice to someone seen as I'm not a parent yet. But if I were to give one small piece, I think that sometimes when parents push too hard on a certain subject or a certain idea, like, you have to stay in dance class, or you have to, you know, do better at math and join the math team or whatever it is, kids occasionally will rebel against that or kids won't be as excited as they could be because it's not their passion. It's very easy and and obvious, in my opinion, when you see a young person who's being driven, not by their internal drive, but by an external drive, sometimes from parents or from society or whatever it might be. And so the way to get around that is not to force young people or or your kids to to do any specific thing, but instead to make sure that if there's something you want them to be interested in, whether it's science fiction or science or anything else, to simply make sure that they have the resources they need to succeed in it. And then also make sure that they've been exposed to 
lots of fun, interesting perspectives. Hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of great resources right now. If you want to get your kids interested in science and in space, there are so many great resources out there on the internet. I think it's a fantastic, I mean, I'm young enough that I don't remember a world without internet, but I've heard horror <laughs> stories. Um, <laughs> it, it, it did exist. I just don't know it either. Right. And now I feel old. That's what sorry, we do to you, sorry. dude. That's what we do, Tim, every time. But there's so many great resources out there on the internet. And that's one of the, you know, the inarguable great parts about it is that like, you want your kids to be more excited about or more interested in science or STEM, go on TikTok, go on YouTube, go on Instagram, there is a whole world of science communicators out there who also want your kids to be interested in science and in STEM and who want to help with that. And it's never, ever too early to start exposing your kids to um, to good role models and to um, to people in science. And I've seen that personally. I've had people who have contacted me um, from from my work in science communication and have said that you know their their toddlers uh, just love to watch my videos on YouTube. And to me, that's that's fun and funny because some of my videos they're not necessarily geared towards toddlers, but they are about science and they are about space and um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're only focusing on like the age appropriate stuff that they can actually fully digest and consume. Mm -hmm. As long as it's age appropriate in the sense of being family friendly and fun, like all of my content is definitely expose kids and, and young people to stuff that you would consider to be like above their level, because the truth sure. is that maybe their level is different than what you think. And also, even if it isn't, um, there's, the only good things can come from having them even get one tenth or one one hundredth of what is going on in a cool science video. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I love science videos on YouTube. Like, oh, yeah. And I'm science TikTok. I want to do an experiment. It's like, um, oh, yes maybe. No, we do <laughs> an outdoor experiment, right? <laughs> yes. Her her dad did the I want to do an experiment thing when he was a kid and mixed ammonia and bleach and has no sense of smell now. Oh no, so, which in some cases might be a good thing, right? But not right, definitely. <laughs> not when you have a toddler and it's the that one's your problem. Oh, I don't smell anything. Of course you don't. <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> I think I learned said, more. Go ahead. Oh sorry, I was just gonna say, Kathleen, you said your daughter is three years old, right? She'll be three in September. Yeah. Oh, that's such a fantastic it age. It is such a such fun age. It is like so much fun. They just look at the world and they have so much curiosity. And that's one of those things that I hope that that we can all have even just like a small inkling or percentage of that same kind of curiosity for the world around us as we grow up. And that, oh. that has been one of the best things about being her mom is suddenly seeing that world, seeing the world through those eyes again, realizing and remembering how it felt as a kid with the this is the coolest thing ever and watching her go full bore into whatever we're doing. And I'm like, Right, I used to be that person. I can do this. Right. I just oh, that's can't so keep amazing. up with her because she's exhausting. <laughs> she but, has but, all the energy now. And now have a spaceship in your living room. Exactly. It was a cardboard box five minutes ago, but now it's a spaceship. Exactly. And before you know it, it's going to be a landing ship for Mars, and then it's going to be the alien's home, and then it's going to be yeah, and then suddenly it's a school bus again. It's like. <laughs> Your imagination is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so amazing. And yeah. Tim, how old are are you? Have kids or a kid? I do. I have I have three. So wow. Um, my my youngest is fourteen. Oh, okay, so, so you're on kind of the opposite side of Kathleen now, yeah. in the sense that like 
you're you've done it. You've done I'm, those early years, and I'm uh, just a couple months older than her. So yeah. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! We both know that's not true. To you. <laughs> based on the reaction that you both had to my internet comment earlier, I'm pretty sure I have a gauge of uh, yeah. where where those ages lie. <laughs> yeah, I graduated in 2010. He may have graduated the year I was born. Not Sorry, are we making you feel me. old again? And I'm gonna go cry in the corner over here. I'll be right back. <laughs> no, you didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that bad. You graduated a couple of years after I was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I won't even mention how young I am then. So, Abby, one of your YouTube episodes, you discuss your top ten favorite sci-fi shows. Great episode, by the way. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And that was released in 2019. We've definitely had a couple shows come out since then. Um, there's been a couple on Netflix that I've enjoyed, such as Lost in Space. Uh, the other one was called Away with uh, Hilary Swank. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. Um, yeah, I have to say that um, one of the reasons why I haven't released another new video about an update to that old one is because uh, when I always feel bad saying this i haven't watched most of the recent mm. space shows that have come out it turns out that um the last couple of years have just been so incredibly busy like ever since i graduated from college i feel like life has just been this huge whirlwind and suddenly and i'm not saying i don't ever watch tv because that would be a lie right, but right. i'm saying that like i see all of these incredible space and science shows coming out and i'm just sitting over here like Oh, if only I had the time because I want to commit myself to them. So the one that I have, adulting, I I, know, right? Adulting the worst. (laughs) Well, I would highly recommend Away because it is about a team that goes to Mars. So So that's right up, right? It's right right up up your alley, alley. (laughs) and I think it's a little more on the realistic side than the fantasy side, right? And well, that's, yeah. So I thought it was an excellent uh, series. So definitely watch that one. And I was going to ask if you made any updates to that, but you already I answered that <laughs> um, I will have to, yeah, it's Houston. We have a problem. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to bump that up my list. So I will say that one of them that I've been really keen on watching and no spoilers, because I haven't watched the latest season yet, but um I have really enjoyed The Expanse. And that is kind of the opposite of what you're talking about in terms of like, which I do love the more realistic ones, especially when they make an effort to try and try and get some of the science right um, as far as Mars and space is, is involved. Um, but The Expanse has been a, a huge favorite of mine for a while. Um, and part of that is that uh, I actually loved the books as well. Mm. Um, the Leviathan Wake series. Mm. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. And then I um, heard about and started watching The Expanse separate from the books. And it like during the first episode, I was watching it with someone who had recommended it to me. And I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> this is based on a book series. And the person I was watching it with had never heard of the book series. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, so that was a, a fun way to end up involved in that series. <laughs> That's on my list of things. Like, I started to watch the first episode, but I kind of had it on in the background. So I was like, no, I'm going to have to watch this when I can actually focus on what's happening. Because 
I'm totally lost and I have no clue what's happening in the back. So <laughs> lost, but not lost in space. Hopefully <laughs> I'm working through a couple things in a couple other seasons of different shows. And one of them is the umbrella Academy. I'm, I'm only in season two of that, but I need to get through that before I start something else because my little brain can only handle so much new information at once. I so need to just make a list of the shows that I need to finish watching before I start watching more shows. Yeah, that's part of the right. problem. That is part of the problem. It really, really is. <laughs> All right, so Abby, we talked earlier about your fandoms. Uh, we talked about Star Wars um, and the post that you made on May the 4th be with you. But I, I'd like to know what people's entry point is into the fandom because it kind of sets the tone for where, you know, kind of you kind of get an idea of, you know, what they started to like and why they started to like it. So what movie or show of Star Wars was it that caught your attention What's your favorite now, and who's your favorite character? Yeah, um, so I started with the, you know, the classic, the three Star Wars movies. I watched those when I was pretty young, and that was definitely my my first exposure into Star Wars. And then um, later on, watched the prequels, which I know get a lot of um, different opinions from people on those series. But to me, and, and this wasn't something I realized at the time of why I liked the prequels so much, but looking back on it, I think I can place my finger on a part of it, which is that, um, and I think Kathleen will like this, is that there was so little female representation in a lot of the science fiction that I was consuming, whether it was through books or through movies or through TV. Um, and Star Wars obviously had Leia, who was a fantastic mm-hmm. female protagonist, and she was wonderful. But I think I really also glommed on in the prequel series to Padme as well. And I found her to be such an interesting character. And I have pictures from when I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old of dressing up for Halloween as her one year. Um, and there was another year where obviously I dressed up as Leia and did all of those kinds of costumes when I was younger. Um, but that was my that was my entry was the the classic and then the prequel. And then um, I also read many, many of the uh, the Star Wars books. And I loved the fact that it wasn't just the original story, but that there was like this whole universe that exploded out of those that were all published. And um, that depending on what your interest was, you could go down all kinds of different, like you could read science fiction Star Wars books that were more about the political side of things. You could read ones Mm -hmm. that were more about the force and the dynamics behind that, like whatever you were interested in, there was an avenue um, to explore. Excellent. And I think, too, if, if you haven't yet, um, I strongly suggest then watching the Clone Wars series. Um, I've seen some of it. Yeah, when I was a kid, I saw some of it. Because they, I guess. they dive a lot into Padme's character and really help, um, you know, so we see a lot in, in, the, in the prequel movies about Padme and, 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 and the strong woman that she was and, and the, you know, but the, I think the, the Clone Wars uh, animated series on Disney really helps strengthen that character. And, when, and when, then when you watch the movies, it gave me a whole different respect for her because of the way that they built her character out in the Clone Wars. So that's my two Yeah, cents. it really just gives you like this different perspective to then be able to look at the prequel with and everything. And yeah, you're, making me, you're making me want to go back and rewatch those now again because it has been a long and then you got, time. <laughs> then you got Rebels where you meet like Bo-Katan mm-hmm. and Sabine. Sabine and... Um, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the Star Wars community has really done well with adding female representation. In my in my opinion, 
Um, you know, and I, I, I enjoyed Ray as a character. I know a lot of people give her flack and, you know, whatever, but, um, I think there's a, that's a whole nother topic we could go on for hours about, <laughs> about. So I, I, you know, I almost hesitated bringing it up, but I think, again, we're talking about female representation and there's, there's your strong protagonist with a good story, you know, line. And I'm hoping that they do something similar to what they did with the clone wars, where there's an opportunity to find out even more about her as we go. And even though she didn't get a whole lot of credit, Jen Erso was pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. She was. She was a cool character. And I 100% agree with what you're saying, Tim, that like Star Wars has done better than some other, um, like, I I obviously am not, and I swear with that statement, I'm not pointing fingers at any specific like fandom or anything like that out there. But it is something that I've noticed about Star Wars, especially in the more recent productions, is that like, there has been some some increased female representation. And also, one of the things right from the beginning with Star Wars is that it was never one dimensional female characters, it wasn't typecast casting women into this certain role where they were only able to play um, one type of, of character. Uh, and I think, like, for example, we can even see that with the development of Leia's character over time, mm-hmm. that she sure. went on to be a, a war leader and went on to be like this general who was um, just so involved in so many ways. And to me, that's something that I look at Star Wars, just like I look at all of science fiction and science um, and I say we can always do better. Like the, even in Star Wars, there's still room for more female representation and, and for that to be more present and prevalent. But like, gotta gotta celebrate the the wins along the way, which Star Wars is definitely one that I would consider to be a win for this next generation of not just girls, but also boys who are seeing that and growing up, understanding the, the really dimensional, really dynamic, um, ways that, that women can be as, as characters and as people. So you had spoken before about attending the launch of the STS-134 and how it changed your life, even though it wasn't quite how you imagined it was going to be. So what did you take away from that experience that helped you continue doing what you love, even though things didn't work out perfectly? Yeah, so when I was 13 years old, I got to go watch um, STS-134, the second to last shuttle launch. Uh, And I had, again, this was one of my first actual interactions with space in a real way. Prior to that, I grew up in landlocked Minnesota, where um, as far as I was aware, there wasn't much space exploration. Um, But this experience, I had really built it up with this idea of like what it would be like to watch a shuttle launch and to experience it. And when I did end up seeing it, um, it was a little disappointing in that sense, because uh, it was a really cloudy day. And so when the shuttle launched, we were only able to see it for like a brief second, like the, the you know, the briefest of moments. And so compared to what I'd built up of, of what I had expected or hoped to see, it wasn't quite the same. Um, but I did end up learning something from that experience. And it is still one of my fondest memories and, and most cherished memories as well as that STS-134 launch experience, not necessarily because of the launch, but more so because of the people that I met along the way. I got to interact with and meet so many incredible people um, who were so inspiring and so exciting to me, Everyone, everywhere from a um, a little girl who was probably like four or five years old at the time who came up to me um, with her family because I had been, you know, I was 13. I was wearing my flight suit at Kennedy Space Center watching the launch. Um, and this little girl was also wearing a flight suit and she wanted to come up and say hi to me because I was another girl 
in a flight suit and she was so excited by that and so that was an inspiring and, and exciting meeting um but another one that I really hold dearly and that kind of changed my life in a lot of ways was that when I was on the way back from Florida um having just kind of seen this launch uh I ran into someone in the airport in TSA in the security line and this is why no matter how annoyed I am now when I travel I will always still be thankful for TSA um, because I was stuck in a TSA line waiting to get my bag scanned and all of that. And I turned around and standing just a couple of people behind me was an astronaut. And I was traveling with my mom at the time, of course, because I was um, 13 years old and I pointed him out to her, nudged her, did the whole, you know, rude kid thing, like pointing and very obvious. And she looks over at him and looks back at me and says, Abby, that's not an astronaut. And I said, yes, it is. That's Luca Parmitano. And she goes, no, it's not. Um, and then she says to me, not all bald men are astronauts. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like 99.99% of the time she would have been right. Like she would have been like, you know, that person, like, sure, maybe he looks a little bit like him, but just because he's bald doesn't mean it's astronaut Luca. And I was absolutely certain that it was. And so once we were through security, I waited and I went and I introduced myself to him. And luckily for me, it was Luca, because otherwise that would have been a really awkward conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I introduced myself to him and he ended up sitting down with me for about an hour in the airport and he answered all of my questions about becoming an astronaut gave me really incredible advice advice that still helps me guide my path to this day and then at the end of it he um actually wrote out his email address and handed it to me and said here's my email if you have any more questions you can get in touch with me i will be your astronaut oh. and that yeah it was oh. the most incredible oh, cool. like, like it just is this memory that will forever have free real estate in my brain. Um, and it was really cool, not just because it was like this direct line to a mentor in a field that's very small that I was hoping to achieve, but it also really, um, I guess, instilled in me something that I already knew and was thinking about, but it was this idea of how important it is to give back and how important it is to reach out and to make sure that when you go through a door that you're not shutting it behind you, that instead you're making every single effort that you possibly can to keep that door open for the next person and the next person and the next person to go through. Um, and so I really look at, at a lot of the passion that I have for helping the next generation. I think a lot of that was instilled by this really traumatic experience that I had that was so meaningful to my life and now hopefully will um, help guide me to be meaningful in the future as well. Excellent. That's a great story. Love yeah, it. It's, it, it has all the aspects for a good story, right? A little bit of a heart tug, a little bit of a funny bone, all of the... Yeah, <laughs> definitely. The I got to prove I'm wrong part. Yeah, there's all of it. Yeah, so yeah, there's right. all of it. Which That's I mentioned in, the in my TED talk, I'm like, I was right. I was so right. <laughs> <laughs> she right, so, leave me. Um, she's well. The thing is, she's right. Like, and I'll I'll, I'll be the first person to admit it. Like, kids, listen to your mom. Like, Kathleen, you can tell your daughter I said this <laughs> because because mom is usually right, um, but not when it comes to ID and astronauts. Because <laughs> Face over here has it down. <laughs> nice. All right, so Abby, we've gotten to a point of our show where we like to play a little quiz with our guests. All right, yeah, so it's a it's a five question quiz. 
This one is all based upon, well, not all, mostly about NASA. Okay? So, and, and all the questions are multiple choice. So we'll, we'll lay that out for you. If you get three questions correct, we want to send you a, a I gave to the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans coffee mug. Okay? And that also has on the backside our funny science fiction podcast logo. And then if you get four questions correct, we're going to send you the coffee mug along with this book, Custodians of the Cosmos, which is written by our, our group founder, Drayton Allen. It's all about a young man who wanted to join Starfleet, couldn't, so he rejoined as a custodian to boldly clean up after those who boldly just went. <laughs> you know, so, it's not the worst option. If you can't make it to NASA, you could be custodian. You can't beat him, clean up after him. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great so. blurb. It's a great blurb for a book, I've got to say. <laughs> exactly, right? All right. So what do I, so, what, wait, what do I get if I get zero questions? Oh, we're right? getting there. All right. Yeah, anything okay. <laughs> anything less than three, we take your picture, we make a meme out of you. We call it a fun sequence. Do you agree to these terms? Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. All right, Nick, take it away. What historic event spurred the United States to create a new space agency? Was it the launch of Sputnik, President Kennedy's bet with Vice President Johnson, or the Bay of of Pigs incident? (laughs) Um, Let's go with Sputnik. You are correct. One for one. All right. Can I get Sputnik for 100 points, please? There you go. (laughs) All right. Question number two. What does the acronym NASA stand for? Uh, National Aeronautics and Space Administration, National Aeronautics and Space Agency, National Aeronautics and Space Flight Administration. Oh my God, hold on. I stopped. Uh, like my brain just stopped for a moment there. Did you ever have that happening? Because yes. I already like gave you all the sass at the beginning of that question. Right, because also, I was like, that is noted. obviously such an easy question. <laughs> National Aeronautics and Space Administration, of course. That yes, correct. But that's why we made the, the other two answers so close to it so that, it, you know. So close. I'm listening, and all those words just like started to sound the same after a moment. And it suddenly I had that thought where I was like, what? does NASA stand for? <laughs> what if I had it wrong all of these years? Welcome to the word jumble. <laughs> all right, question Good three. Good one. <laughs> so who was the first NASA administrator? Was it A, T. Keith Glennon, B, Delmar M. Morris, or C, Warner Von Braun? Well, it wasn't Warner Von Braun because he was German. <laughs> um, let's go with B. It was T. Keith Glennon. Uh, All right, so two and one. You're still you're still on good pace. Still in the running. Still still in the running. All right. Question number four. What was NASA's first human space program? A. Gemini. B. Apollo. Or C. Mercury. Mercury. Correct. All right. You You just won yourself a coffee mug. Woo! I'm a Yay. big coffee drinker, so that's that's very much appreciated awesome. for sure. Excellent. And our final space question that has to do with the moon. That's no moon. What species <laughs> stole the plans to the Death Star? Was it the Mon Calamari, Bothans, or Endorians? Hmm. Let's go with Mon Calamari. <laughs> Want to try again? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go with Andorians instead. Oh, want to try again? 
<laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's the Bothans. Boffins. <laughs> it's the Bothans. So yeah, there's the quote from the didn't movie. Didn't you hear Boffins. me right the first time? I definitely said Bothans. You, 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 I, <laughs> I thought so. Nick didn't hear it. Oh, so wait. I was just... Did you say this is recorded? I, I can't just... <laughs> in post? <laughs> <laughs> well, fix it in post! <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so... It's the motto uh, on our podcast now. All right, so it is the motto of our podcast. Well, fix it in post! All right, so you got three out of five correct. We're going to send you the coffee mug, and because we're nice people, we're going to have Drayton autograph you a book and send it to you anyway. Aw, thank you. So, But, uh, yeah, and I think you'll enjoy it. it it's, a, it's a pretty funny read. Um, and I'm not just saying that because he watches the, the podcast. So, <laughs> not just saying it because you have to, but exactly. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> well, Abby, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can people go to find out more about your work and what you're doing now? Yeah, so anyone who's interested in following along with my journey towards space or joining the Mars generation can find me on pretty much every social media platform. Um, so, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. YouTube, Instagram, all the different areas as Astronaut Abby. And you can find the Mars Generation, likewise, as the Mars Generation. We also have websites, themarsgeneration.org and astronautabby.com. And I would especially um, encourage everyone out there to go and take a look as well at my uh, my first book that I just published uh, a couple of months ago called Dream Big, How to Reach for Your Stars. If you have been intrigued by um, what you've heard today about this podcast, take a look at Dream Big, How to Reach for Your Stars. It has a lot of great um, advice and a lot of great techniques to help achieve goals and dreams in the future. And it also has great artwork by an artist I worked with. And the real kicker on it, is that 100% of my proceeds as the author of Dream Big go to fund the Mars generation and help to continue allowing us to do the work that we do in science and STEM. So thank you. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So thanks for letting me plug that. Um, and I look forward also to reading Drayton's book. Uh, and maybe I'll have to send a copy of mine in it. There you exchange. go. <laughs> but it's been a real pleasure to be on with you guys today. Um, such thought-provoking and um, humorous as well, which I have to say that uh, I've done a lot of podcasts and some of them are funny, but sometimes not intentionally. Um, this has been one of the most enjoyable. So thank you for having oh, thank me you. on. Thank you, Abby. Thank you so much. And we will make sure pleasure. that we put all of your social media and your websites in the episode description so that people can find them. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. And as a reminder, guys, we want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Astronaut Abby here uh, to share some funny moments with us and to educate us as well. Now, please subscribe. It's going to do far more than we can ever really express to you. And be sure to check out Astronaut Abby, all her work. She has an awesome YouTube page. I suggest you subscribe to that as well. Um, and check out her website and her Facebook page. Stay up to speed with everything she's doing because there's a lot of it there and um, you're going to want to stay up to speed with it. And by the way, if you're not happy with the content of our videos, all you have to do is submit in duplicate form, of course, to the Mars Generation Foundation, where its ambassador and founder, Abby Harrison, awaits your complaint. She'll take your complaint to the offending party and force them to do four hours of calculus and, of course, physics for each complaint received. 
So on behalf of the complaints that you guys are no doubt going to send about Nick, we apologize in advance. <laughs> you take four hours of calculus and my brain's like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. And um, Tim forgot to mention also that in those complaints, you can specify if you want Nick to have to write a book report about Dream Big as well. Uh, you know, yeah. chapter by chapter, the more complaints he gets, the more book reports he's going to owe. I, I, <laughs> if I didn't say it earlier, I like her. <laughs> Well, send me a copy of your book, and I will write a book report on it. <laughs> We've got nothing better to do. You're a good sport. <laughs> well, thanks again, Abby, for being on the show. Yeah, it was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, have a great, great night and a great rest of the week. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to Funny Science Fiction. See you next time. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for watching. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund which supports the Witch Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give redshirt crewman number 23. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and attempts to befriend the Mars population of man-eating protozoas six minutes after landing, he will know that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope because the Redshirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his fingerprint. And speaking of sponsors and show partners, check out this short video from our good friends over at Level Up Lightsabers. Information about Level Up Lightsabers and their online training sessions can be found in the episode description below. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Funny Sci-Fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode.